0: Good day everyone and welcome to The U.S. Lens, I'm Ron Insana. As you know, the markets around the world have been extraordinarily volatile given rising interest rates, sticky inflation and central banks that are raising rates to hopefully not only cool the domestic economy here in the states, but also fight inflation elsewhere as well given a multitude of variables that are affecting global economic activity. Joining me now to talk about all that with a particular focus on what the U.S. Federal Reserve does from here is Adam Farstrup, he is head of multi-asset Americas for Schroeder's, joining me this morning. Adam, good to talk to you again. Thanks for being with us today. Hi, Ron. Pleasure to be here again. All right. So um, inflation still looks a little sticky, despite some of my arguments, to the contrary of late. The producer prices in the U.S. out this morning were up four-tenths of a percent, but still, the pace of increase appears to be slowing. Given what we know about inflation right now, and the collapse in some inflation indicators, so on and so forth, what do you expect the Fed's going to, number one, think about the data we've seen lately, and then come November, do about it?
1: Well, I think, uh, as we've talked about previously, there's a lot of things that are happening in terms of the inflation picture here. And you've rightly pointed out that on the good side of things, where we've seen these extraordinary disruptions that started back in, in COVID from supply chain disruptions, you know that part of the inflation picture is working its way through the system. And I think we're getting to a better place. But fundamentally, what we think the Fed is looking at is an economy that's running above capacity. And so we think that the Fed right now is very focused on the labor market. Now, we know that labor statistics are backwards looking. So they'll come afterwards. The Fed is very aware of the lags in what they do from a monetary policy perspective. However, uh, and I think we talked about this last time you and I spoke. Uh, we've been saying that that I think, you know the Fed is very focused on the Arthur Burns Fed and the mistakes that they perceive that the Arthur Burns Fed made. And when you look at the commentary that came out publicly uh, from Jackson Hole, from some of the other events that weren't necessarily Fed events around that time, but you had Fed speakers at, uh, we've heard them talk repeatedly about the mistake of easing backing off too early. So I think that is the focus, that is the reaction function uh, that we see uh, with the Fed right now.
0: Uh, So So, let me ask you something, because I'm probably the only person old enough uh, between you and me or anyone listening to to call (laughs) to remember who exactly Arthur Burns was and, and why he is, yep. generally speaking, considered um, among the worst Federal Reserve chairs that we had. What was his problem specifically?
1: So you had you had a, a, a situation in the nineteen seventies where inflation. You know, one of the differences is that inflation built up over a very long period of time, yep. and then you had uh, the shock of the oil embargoes, uh, and so you. You had a very different economy, of course, where uh, you had a wage price spiral occurring uh, in the markets. And so you had that lost decade in the 70s. During that time period, the, the Arthur Burns Fed was hiking interest rates, uh, but there was a, there was a recession or, or there was sort of signs of a recession in there. And so the, the Fed backed off. Uh, and there's a view that when they backed off actually inflation re-accelerated and that led to the Volcker Fed where they had to get very aggressive with rates and ultimately cause a much deeper recession than had they maintained a tighter Federal Reserve policy during that time.
0: Let me drill down on this just a bit. I don't want to get too sidetracked but because I'd like yeah. to get to like where you think the Fed's going from here but yeah. you know as you said that that economy was very different. L- labor markets were heavily unionized There were automatic contractual wage increases accompanied by inflation escalators that accelerated wage inflation more dramatically than today. And the energy intensity of the 1970s economy, when you were driving a Chevy that got 10 miles to the gallon, (laughs) is very different than the energy intensity in all ways of, of, of this economy today. So are they looking at the wrong analog, given that the composition of this economy and the reasons that we're having... Inflation for fifteen months rather than fifteen years are radically different. Uh,
1: I I think the Fed has actually been savvier about this. What I would say is, the the thing that they're concerned about is the labor market, right? And mm-hmm. and and again, you've you and I have talked about this before that there is a shortage of workers. Now, there's a variety of reasons why there's a shortage of workers, but you know fundamentally you know going back to what we think the the fed's reaction function is they would like to see unemployment back closer to what the economists called Nehru, right so the non accelerating inflationary rate of unemployment meaning the not level the jacket of unemployment
0: that the beatles wore
1: yeah not a jacket that the beatles wore right yeah. uh and and so that means that is the level of unemployment where they think the economy is more in equilibrium where you don't get wage price spiral. So it's true that we don't have all these escalators, we don't have the unionization, but you have seen a lot of wage pressure in the economy that's starting to come back. And that certainly goes to the argument of those who say, okay, maybe the pace of what the Fed does from here uh, can slow. And we do think that the deceleration in hiking from the Fed is within view. Uh, Certainly, the market seems to think that uh, next month in November, we're going to get 75 basis points. Uh, I think that's a reasonably safe bet. You can imagine a situation where if the Fed surprises the market and says it's only 50 basis points, actually, if the equity markets uh, take off on the back of that, that simply creates easier uh, financial conditions, which is exactly the opposite of what the Fed Wants to create, but I think we're getting closer to that point where they can say, "I can slow the pace of hiking." Uh, and we do see the employment market beginning at the at, you know at the beginning of that point where um, we think it will start to align. So you're starting to see job openings come down. Mm-hmm. You're starting to see some unemployment, uh, uh, some some layoffs coming into the market. That sort of jolts figure, right? The job openings relative to the number of workers. We're still two openings to every unemployed worker uh, that we can see in the system. But that could move very quickly, right? So if you you're starting to see companies cancel open positions and you're starting to see layoffs, that could close very quickly. We think it'll take some time uh, for the slowdown to happen where you get unemployment to really react to a point the Fed is comfortable with.
0: Now the other issue that has come up recently um, that has suggested to some that the Fed either would or should slow the pace of, of rate increases uh, and, and maybe back off altogether is, is financial instability, which we may not have seen in the United States, but we're certainly seeing it in the United Kingdom with a bond market in disarray, uh, pension funds, uh, which managed $1.7 trillion worth of savings, um, having some serious issues with strategies that they've employed that have threatened their, in some cases, either liquidity or solvency in my experience over 38 years when when central banks are raising rates they go until something breaks and at least in the UK maybe even in Japan we're starting to see some things break is that the type of thing irrespective of what most fed officials have said lately that causes the fed either to stop or ultimately to pivot
1: i i i think um you know something breaking will absolutely Cause a reaction from a, a central, any any sound central bank, right? They, they're not. They don't want to see things fundamentally break because they know that that creates much bigger problems into the economy. So I agree with you that if you see something else break in the economy, the Fed will react to it, and you have to include that in your risk scenarios. That said, I think what you're seeing in the UK, right, is speed kills. So what what you had in the UK was a central bank, in some sense, that was behind the curve uh, in terms of their hiking policy. Uh, And then you had uh, government action that went sort of, frankly, opposite to what the central bank was doing. So officials uh, look at uh, policy being in conflict with each other, so fiscal policy versus monetary policy. And when you have an inflationary environment, Uh, When those two conflict with each other, that does tend to cause really big problems for the economy. And it causes big problems for for the the central banks. So in the US, we actually have fiscal policy generally tightening, uh, whereas in the UK, what you saw was a very expansionary uh, fiscal policy in that uh, they were pursuing some pretty aggressive tax cuts uh, into the economy backed with support for uh, consumer energy prices, right? So that kind of runs counter to the, the need to fight inflation in the economy. And that led to this very rapid reaction in rates at a speed we've never seen. And so that speed is what caused something to break. We haven't, we've seen a very aggressive speed out of the Fed, so you could see something break. That said, I think we're past the worst of the speed from Fed policy because, as I said, we're, we're looking at this point where it's likely the Fed can begin to back off the pace of hikes. So. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, you're listening to The Investor Download.
0: All right. So at that point, then, the Fed seems, though, to be willing to accept something of a recession, as you say, a higher unemployment rate uh, to bring the economy into equilibrium. That's still not great news for equity markets here in the U.S. in particular. Uh, And as we enter earnings season, there are concerns that as all this works through the system, that earnings won't hold up nearly as well uh, as some had anticipated. So how much risk is there left in equities uh, as we move forward?
1: Yeah, I I think... um so if we pivot from this discussion of the Fed, the first thing I would say is expectations that there's an easy Fed put for this cycle are really badly misplaced. And, mm-hmm. and then as you say, when we look at earnings, you know, in the fixed income markets, we've now priced in a lot of, of the, the slowdown. But in the equity side of the market, you really haven't seen earning expectations react significantly yet. There's been some softening of those earnings expectations. Um, we, we think there's a ways to go for the market to, to really see earnings come back. And on that basis, you know, if you look at earnings coming back, let's say um, 7% down from here, which takes you um, back to kind of a year ago levels in the S&P earnings. If we come down 7%, uh, we think you could see something like Another 10% down on the SP, if you sort of hold all else equal. If you see earnings go all the way back to kind of the beginning of 2021, um, that would be earnings down, say, about 14, 15% from here. You know, that could potentially look like another 15 to
0: 16% down on the SP 500. So in raw numbers, that's like 3,000? Yeah, that's a, that's around three thousand
1: thirty one hundred. You know, the seven percent gets you down to about thirty three hundred on the S and P. You know, these are all sort of you know rough estimates, so so use them with caution. But I I think it tells you that there is a lot of downside risk that could happen in equity markets, and as a result, I think investors will treat that very cautiously.
0: All right. So having said that, now um, does that also mean Uh, that if if we're starting to see earnings come down, we're seeing the economy slow, that even as the Fed tightens, that we may have seen a peak in long-term bond yields here in the United States. Uh,
1: I I think we're getting close to that peak. If you look at valuation uh, on, say, the US 10-year government bond, from a pure valuation standpoint, it looks a little bit cheap right now. So I think you're at the point where the fundamentals are starting to line up, but it's it's really about um, sentiment. It's about momentum and psychology. You know, until you get the Fed seeming to really step back a little bit, it's, it's hard to get really excited uh, about uh, fixed income. That said, we're really starting to see some opportunities within fixed income. The fact that you can, if you think about it, you can invest at the short end of the curve, meaning not a lot of interest rate sensitivity. If you if you buy, you know, two-year government bonds uh, in the US right now, you're somewhere around 4.3% last time I looked in terms of the yield. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that you get a lot of capital appreciation out of that, but if you're saying I'm I'm concerned about equities, the, the difference now between between now and the beginning of the year is there are places that you can hide and get paid a little bit to do so. And so that I think is definitely creating a different picture for investors
0: going forward. Let me shift gears and talk a little bit about overseas because obviously with the Ukraine war going on and intensifying in, in, in a certain sense and with China um, still in, in a zero COVID policy and, and the upcoming communist party meeting at which time it's expected President Xi will get a third term possibly installed as president for life. At a time when their economy is slowing, uh, their exports are not doing nearly as well as people had anticipated, and they're having a effectively a, an implosion in their property market. What do you see happening in China? And has their market gone down enough to reflect the pace, the slower pace of growth, and all these other attendant issues that that we keep reading about in the press? So when we when we talk to our
1: our experts in China uh, who are investing in that market, who are on the ground uh, there, or or have spent much of their career (laughs) investing in China, they remain very cautious in in aggregate. So it's true the market is cheaper, but you just outlined a whole load of risks that we still face. We really don't know when the Chinese government will ease up on on the zero COVID policies. Right? There's a lot of speculation that after the party conference, once Xi uh, is installed with whether it's president for life or third term or however they're going to phrase it, uh, that they will look to find opportunities to back off that a little bit, but we don't really know. And so that presents a really significant um, downside risk still in China. You still see that the activity in China is weak. You haven't seen... Uh, policy pivot to be expansionary in China. So we think there's a lot of reasons to be cautious in aggregate. That said, I think if you start looking at a stock level and you have people who uh, are really familiar with what's happening in the markets and can separate the, the real news from the noise, you are seeing some opportunities for active management within China. But I think you have to be very cautious about just buying the beta. I wouldn't I wouldn't go buy an ETF in China right now just because it looks like the market is cheap.
0: All right, let's switch to Russia, which in, in some respects is, is even more problematic given the, the rhetoric we've heard from Vladimir Putin, uh, who is president for life. He's raised the possibility of using a low-yielding tactical battlefield nuclear weapon on Ukraine, even as he's now pounding uh, the capital city there. Uh, with uh, just an unrelenting barrage of, of missile attacks. As this gets worse and also has implications for Europe with respect to energy security, is there any reason to believe that there's a near term settlement to this conflict? Or is it just going to be Putin, who recently installed uh, a new general known as General Armageddon to handle the war in Ukraine, that this will get far worse before it gets better? Well, you know, I'm far
1: from a foreign policy expert, but. But based on our our, our best assessment, we don't think uh, you're any closer to a negotiated settlement uh, in Ukraine. Uh, We don't have any idea what will or won't happen to to Putin. When you look at what the uh, military and foreign policy experts are saying is, the Russian military has proven that they're pretty uh, behind. the West at this point, and and frankly, Ukraine. So don't forget that uh, we have been training uh, the Ukrainian military, we being the U.S. Uh, for quite some time now. Uh, so if you if you look at the commentary from some of the former uh, U.S. generals who were in charge of that training, you know they're very clear that the Ukrainian capability, military capability is very different, and Western arms are clearly having an impact there. Uh, we look at the desperation of what Putin has called up. Uh, it suggests that in terms of conventional terms, it's unlikely that you're going to see a really strong Russian military breakthrough. They have supply chain problems of their own. They have China starting to get upset with them, India starting to get upset with them, uh, and, they, and they don't have a training regime, and they have a corrupt uh, leadership within their military. So from, from that standpoint, uh, w- we think you're kind of at this stalemate, uh, as it were, in terms of ongoing conflict. Uh, If they escalate to nuclear, that's a very different situation, which uh, I think we'll all have to think hard about how we react and and be in the hands of of our military thinkers. In terms of the markets in Europe, I think the markets have, have discounted the mainstream scenarios. I think the markets are expecting continued supply disruptions out of the Russian energy complex. I think this winter, they seem to have accumulated enough stockpiles of gas that they should be able to get through uh, the winter barring a really, really cold winter. The question really becomes what happens over the summer, next summer, and into next winter? Have they been able to uh, secure enough energy supply at reasonable prices that the economy can have some semblance of function
0: going forward? So Adam, just to, to put a button on all this, very simply, um, should investors be risk-on or risk-off right now?
1: I think investors would be well-served to, to live to fight another day. So be cautious, be defensive, but look for opportunities to take advantage of. Because we discussed there are now opportunities, certainly in the fixed income market. I think investors can look at places where they can earn uh, uh an attractive level of yield or interest uh, in their portfolios and and be a bit more protected from the storm. And then as we work through, uh, as the markets work through the the earnings challenges that, that are likely to come, I think in coming months, you're going to see opportunities to add risk back in. But the key is for investors to make sure that they can weather the storm because we don't think the storm is done.
0: All right. Adam, always a pleasure. Thanks for being with us this morning. Thank you, Ron. Always Adam Farstrup. Talk. Adam Farstrup is head of multi-asset Americas for Schroeder's joining me on the US Lens. And I'm Ron Asana. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. Well, that was the show. We very much hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more, check out our website, Schroders.com, forward slash the investor download. You can also get in contact with us about anything in the show or ideas for future shows at schroderspodcasts at schroders.com. Please remember to subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review. We're now doing one show a week, which will be available every Thursday from 5pm UK time. Thanks very much for listening. But above all, keep safe and go well. Cheers the value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up and investors may not get back the amounts originally invested past performance is not a guide to future performance the information is not an offer solicitation or recommendation of any funds services or products or to adopt any investment strategy